0: Line. All right, open up your Bibles to Acts 6, verse 8. Acts 6, verse 8. Stephen, one of the first deacons in the New Testament, becomes um, the first martyr listed in the book of Acts. In the New Testament, the first Christian martyr. People have died like John the Baptist, but this is the first Christian martyr that we're going to uh, read about here. The series is called Let's Go Change the World, and Stephen is going to be hauled in for questioning. And he is going to give a speech, longest speech in the book of Acts. And it's important to know our genre. The genre is this. He is hauled in front of the Supreme Court of his land to give a defense for his faith. And he's on trial for his life. He could die if he fails at giving a defense for his faith. He gets up there and he shares, the the genre would be, he shares an indictment On the religious rulers. He switches it around and puts them on trial. They don't quite know it until the end. They're kind of like, where's he going with this? He's supposed to be the defendant, but he actually becomes the prosecutor, and he charges them with killing the Messiah. Then he sees a vision where heaven itself opens, revealing that these rulers are actually in heaven's court, and God himself is watching, and it shows the rejection of the gospel by the rulers in Jerusalem. Why is this important? Well, because this is the key moment when the rulers decisively, again, for the next time, reject the Messiah, and therefore the gospel will explode outside of Jerusalem. They have failed to do what they were supposed to do, go take the gospel to the ends of the earth, so now the church will do it. The church will explode out through this persecution, and this is how the gospel ultimately eventually reached even our land. All right, so that's a little background. Let's pray, and then we will get into God's Word together. Father, as we desire to go change the world, we pray that you would use Stephen's speech, his, what should have been his defense for his faith and his life, but what turned into, in the Old Testament, what the prophets did to the kings and the people of their day. They held their people accountable to the law of God. And Stephen today will give an apologetic for the faith. He'll show us why we believe what we do but he will also accuse those who put to death the Son of God of a high crime in heaven's court. Given the gravity of all this and the wonderful example and courage of Stephen, make us better witnesses. Show us the gospel is true. Show us that we can go out there and tell the world with courage that Jesus is the Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. The first thing you can write down is this before we read. Why should I believe the gospel is true? It's Luke's whole reason for writing this book. All right? Everybody say, why? Why? That's why Luke writes. So that you might have greater affirmation of your faith. That's what this whole story is about. That's why it's in here. So in Acts 6, verse 8, they had just appointed the deacons. And it says in verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That means that he could cast out demons. Uh, That means he could heal people. Those are typically the forms that these take. Up until this point, only the apostles were doing these things, and now Stephen is also doing them. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Well, who are they? The freedmen would have been slaves from the surrounding world, the Greek, the Roman world, who had been freed and now they had come to uh, Jerusalem and they formed a synagogue and it was made up of them. And then it also included others, right? So it said the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. These are from Turkey, Egypt, like northern Egypt. Um, and, uh, and so all of these people are outsiders. They're from out there. And then those who were slaves who got set free... They represent kind of the outer banks of of those who were included in the Jewish faith. Now, what would it like to be these folks? Well, Greek speakers, probably, so they spoke differently, and they were from out there. Culturally, they were differently, and Stephen was too. So he goes out there, and he starts reaching this group of people out there, and now they are not happy, because their synagogue rulers are now like, why is he talking to our people? Right? You got Peter out there and he's talking to the, you know, the Hebrew speaking, the Aramaic speaking Jews. Now Stephen's out here and he's talking to the Greek speaking. Now there's big problems, power struggles, right? Maybe these people who were from out there had come back into Jerusalem because they've got a really fierce devotion to the faith now. And so how dare he, Stephen, try and undercut what we came here to believe, Maybe there was also kind of a special eye on them. They were always kind of considered, you know, second-class Jews. I mean, they're from out there. They don't talk like us. And so he's disrupting them. And now there's more pressure on them from the ruling authorities because they're not getting it right. Whatever it is, there's big trouble. And it's because Stephen is preaching the gospel to a newer group within the Jewish community. So it says here that they rose up and disputed with Stephen. So they're going to try publicly to argue with him. That doesn't go so well. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now now it's getting crooked. Now it's getting dirty. We're going to get some false witnesses against him to testify that he's speaking against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, brought him before the council, They set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say, This Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The high priest said, Are these things so? This sets it all up. Why should we believe the gospel is true? Here's a man, Stephen, who's a messenger of God, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He's described as being full of grace and power, and he was doing incredible wonders because God was indeed with him. Here's a picture of one person's rendering of Stephen in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would have been a council of like, you know, 70 of the rulers, the high priest would be up there. This would be within the temple area like within, not the the holy place, but just outside of that. They had a room, and they were like the high, they were like the Supreme Court plus the Senate, right, of the land. But remember, they were under Roman rule. So they had certain authority, but they didn't have total authority. Their priorities included keeping peace so that Rome wouldn't mess with them. And they also, remember, the temple was the national bank, so they also were rich, and they wanted to protect the money flow. They wanted to protect the peace and their power. They believed that Moses gave them the law. They built the temple. Well, Rome did, but it was theirs. So therefore, they were the gatekeepers of God. And everyone who caused them trouble would pay. Now, why do they keep bringing up the law, Moses, and the temple? If you, you've got to have a listening guide because we're going to go into the trial here. Whenever they bring up the law and the temple, it's because they can't kill anybody. Rome took away their right to kill people. But if you could be found guilty of blaspheming Moses or the temple, guess what? they could kill you. We can kill him today if we can convict him of blaspheming the law in the temple. That's why they keep going for that, and that's why Stephen's defense was based around that. So you have your listener's guide. You know what's going on. You're going to ask the question, why should I believe the gospel is true? Stephen is doing signs and wonders. He clearly is empowered by God. Let's read on. The high priest said, are these things so? Verse 2, Uh, Also, I don't want to skip this. In verse 15, it said, His face was like the face of an angel. Most likely what that meant was his face had an unexplainable heavenly glow while this was starting. Okay, it didn't like shine brighter than the sun like Jesus and probably didn't even shine like Moses, but this was the, the way that certain messengers had heaven's presence literally through them. There was something like that happening that everybody there could see. They even didn't face that reality, that his face was somehow shining a bit. Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. After his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. All right, jot this down. Abraham, why should I believe the gospel is true? Because the God of glory appeared to Abraham. We're going to follow Stephen's point here. Uh, Why did he bring up Abraham? Everybody in the room knows about Abraham. Uh, Why is he teaching them about Abraham? He is going to indict them for missing the entire plan of God from the start. Where was it when God appeared to our ancestors? Where is God, right? These religious rulers would say, he's right behind us in this box, and we're his gatekeepers. Really? Because it started way, 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 way out there among the Gentiles, right? You can see how this is foreshadowing what's to come. Here's a picture of Abraham's travels. Do we have that map that we can put up there? So the journeys of Abraham, you're going back to 2000 BC, right? So all the way to the right, there's Ur, the Chaldeans, Babylon, like Iran. Then he travels up that red line to Haran, you know, kind of up north. And then finally, he makes his way back down. The white box is what would eventually become Israel. But in Abraham's day, he didn't even own a, you know, a pile of dirt. And this is going to be where the Messiah comes from But God called him out from way out there to come all the way over here. We see how God is out there seeking people. Very important. We learn who is God. The God of glory appeared to Abraham. There's one God, monotheism. So Christianity, Islam, Judaism, the three monotheistic religions. We believe in one God. He appeared to Abraham That God was there, and he is now here in Israel. Abraham was the father of all who would believe. And one of his offsprings would lead to a blessing for the nations. He was promised a seed, a land, and a blessing. The blessing would come to the nations. We know through the New Testament that meant that Jesus was the ultimate offspring of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of all who believe. If you believe in the child of promise, you will be saved. And so in Abraham, all the world would be blessed. He had to leave his land. He had to be called out. It's a portrait of faith, leaving your native people to become a Christian. And so leaving all your earthly ties and allegiance to following Christ into this new land of promise, flowing with milk and honey, ultimately is what it was, that's a portrait of salvation. You have to follow God. So the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And jot this down, God promised a nation would come from him. God promised a nation would come from him. We see how Stephen is already setting up. He's like, he's like, like in boxing. He's like setting him up, setting him up, setting him up. And, and next week we're going to, we don't even get to that, but he's setting him up and he's going like this and he's going like this. And the next week he's going to be like, bam! <laughs> and then he's going to pay with his life. But he's setting them up. And he's like, hey, look, way, 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 out there is where God was, Remember? Stephens from out there, outsiders looked down on. God promised the nation would come from him. He came from out there where God met him. And he had faith in what God promised. He had no land, he had no law. God was with him. No land, no law. God was with him. He was righteous. Then he had a miracle baby, Isaac. He was like 100 years old. Then Jacob and Esau came. Remember the Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel Right, who led to the patriarchs, all barren. So this nation was born from three straight, closed wombs. Impossible nation emerging into this world. It would be a special nation with a special purpose to bring God's presence down to earth, to usher in the Savior. And it started way, way, way out there. One of the most incredible things in human history is when, after Israel was destroyed as a nation in A.D. 70, Boom! They came back on the world stage May 14th, 1948. They're back, and they're nuclear armed. One of the biggest miracles in all of human history. God promised the nation would come from him, and this nation of Israel came from Abraham. Now Stephen is telling them what they already know, right? Let's read on. So he goes on to say this in verse 4. Uh, Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, lived in Haran, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years, telling the future." Abraham believed all of this. He believed what he heard from heaven. That's why he was righteous. No law, no land, and he was a righteous man. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Notice this is all happening pre-Moses. Rulers are like, Moses, temple, us, bow. And Stephen's like, huh? Abraham, duh, way out there. He's like correcting their narrative here. Circumcision, of course, was a sign of the covenant, the promise that God's people would be marked for him, that they would be devoted to him, their sins would be rolled away. Then the patriarchs came. So God promised the nation would come from him, Jot this down. God foretold his people would be slaves in Egypt. God foretold his people would be slaves in Egypt. The true people of God would be enslaved and afflicted. And guess what? God would be present with them there. Where are we going first, Stephen? All the way over to like Mesopotamia. God was there. Then way up to Haran. God was there. And then passing through the land where Abraham owed nothing. Keep going. Where are we now? Egypt. God was there. He's there, he's there, he's there. Do You see how all these rulers, how dare you, you know, God is right here and we're his gatekeepers. And he's like encircling them, all right? God's out there. God foretold his people would be slaves in Egypt. Then it says in verse 9, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. So let's go on to Joseph now. Jot this down. Joseph. God's Deliverer was rejected by the Patriarchs. God's Deliverer was rejected by the Patriarchs. The Patriarchs, those are um, Jacob's kids, right? Bunch of rowdy boys. Jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But listen, here it is. God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions, gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. This is super important. God's deliverer was rejected by the patriarchs. You remember the story of Joseph, right? He had a vision, and he came and told the family. And guess what? Had a dream. What was it? All you all were bowing before me. And they were like, knock it off! And then he's like, next day, right? He comes out, he's like, had another dream. Oh, great. What was this one? Get this. The sun, the moon, the stars, they all were bowing before me. <laughs> he had a bit of a, an attitude problem. Okay, we'll, we'll give it that. Uh, but brothers didn't take kindly to that. Do you have an older brother? Do you have an older brother? Just go tell him he's going to bow down before you one day, right? kiss your feet, and it ain't going to go well. So they're they going to kill him. Then they were like, let's not kill him. Let's make a little money. Sold him as a slave, then told dad that he died. You know, here's the robe; It's full of blood. You figure it out. Is it his? And Jacob, my son is dead. So Joseph then went down to Egypt. It was supposed to just disappear, right? And instead, God, God was with him. The deliverer was rejected by the patriarchs. Stephen is setting up here the history of Israel. The one God chose was rejected After he told them, hey, look, I'm going to be the deliverer here, rejected. God's deliverer was rejected by the patriarchs. Jot this down. God was with him in Egypt. God was with him in Egypt. God was there. He was in Potiphar's house first, right? Remember his wife? Potiphar's wife hit on him. You know, come to bed with me. And Joseph ran away. No. She grabbed his cloak and then accused him of trying to rape her. He gets thrown in jail illegitimately. And it says, God was with him. Who is God with? Who is God with? Who is God with? He's clearly with us. I'm the high priest, and we're the ruling council, and we are the gatekeepers, and he is with us. Really? Because the patriarchs rejected Joseph, and he was in a jail, and God was with him. Who is God with? He's establishing a pattern here that it is usually not those who are with the power in the majority. God was with him in Egypt. Egypt, awesome place. Here's a picture of the pyramids today. They were being built back then. Such history in Egypt. Do you know the pyramids are tombs of the pharaohs? And um, some, there's, you could do a lot of research on this, but there's chambers in there. And some of the hallways, they're so interesting in the way they were built. These corridors point up to the stars. And They don't know exactly the theology, but the idea was they were meant to prepare the Pharaoh for the afterlife where he would ascend uh, forever as a god, and everyone who was buried around with him could get there too if they were maybe buried near him. But the pyramids were almost like the Tower of Babel, like meant to take you up there. How cool is it that Joseph appears to this land and starts seeing um, visions and having dreams and Uh, he's going to be the one to deliver them. How cool is it that his dad, Jacob, would eventually come and stand before Pharaoh and Jacob saw the angels descending and ascending, right, at Bethel? He saw the way heaven comes down and we go up. You don't need a pyramid. You just need faith in the one true God. He could have saved them a lot of labor costs if they had just listened to him. How cool is it that God is all the way out there showing those people that his deliverance is coming through the Israelites. God's deliverer was rejected by the patriarchs. God was with him in Egypt. there in jail, in the prison, and then in the palace. You know the story, Joseph had a dream. He told the baker and the cupbearer their dreams, and baker, you're gonna die. Cupbearer, you're gonna live. It happens, cupbearer forgets Joseph. And then eventually he remembers, because Pharaoh has a dream, and he's like, I oh, have this terrible dream, I don't know what it means. And then the cupbearer's like, ooh, I remember a guy who got me out of jail once. Uh, He could help you. Overnight, Joseph becomes, he goes from rags to riches, prison to palace. He tells the Pharaoh, yep, seven bad years are coming, or good years, seven good years are coming, but don't be fooled. Seven bad years after that are coming and everyone's going to starve and everyone's going to die. So store up some food. And Pharaoh goes, God is with you. Makes him his right hand man. From that day forward, everywhere Joseph went, Everyone bowed to him every day. Make way! Make way! Make way! It would go to your head, Joe. (laughs) So he had to be totally destroyed before it happened, right? To realize. And he he told Pharaoh, I can't tell you, dream. But God can tell you. He was humbled. And he became Prince of Egypt, just like he had seen. God was with him. God was with him, revealing dreams. Who's blessed by God? Surely the rich and mighty and the powerful and those scribes who know the Bible. God is with us, not you. Really? Is that the way it worked throughout our history? Brothers, fathers, he called them. Jot this down. God rescued him and exalted him as prince of Egypt. God rescued him and exalted him as prince of Egypt. God raised up a ruler the people rejected you see where Stephen's going with this, don't you? You see see where he's going with this, right? I mean, you can see it. God's deliverer was rejected. Signs and wonders are going to be done through some of these. Like, I mean, like, God's with him. Like, he's going to show that Jesus is really the one that God was with, and you guys blew it, but he's still winding up. God rescued him and exalted him as Prince of Egypt. God raising up the ruler the people rejected is a pattern, a pattern. God didn't just save the patriarchs either. He used them to save millions of those people from starvation. The surrounding world was delivered by Joseph. That's what Israel was supposed to become, a light to the nations, not this fenced-in, walled-in. Do you know that where this trial was happening, there was a barrier in the temple around where they were, And there were signs on that wall that said, if any Gentile, non-Jewish person crosses this line, he will pay with his life. Do you realize they were walling off the presence of God from those people? And it's so out of line with the heart of God from the very beginning of Israel's history. All right, well, what... What comes next? Well, it says in verse 11, Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Do you remember that, right? The brothers came to town. They fell down in front of Joseph. And he's like, This is the moment I've been waiting for my whole life. Oh, they didn't know who he was because he dressed and talked like an Egyptian, right? Uh, there <laughs> he's just like, what do I do? He played with them for a little while, threw him in jail, made him sweat it out for a few days that he felt bad. I fear God. Sends him back, right? But then he wants to know: is his brother alive? Is his dad alive? And he doesn't trust his brothers. So he messes with them and frames them and this and that. And then they come back, they bring Benjamin, or they come back, they bring Benjamin. And then finally, he has a huge moment of reconciliation with his brothers. He cracked when uh, Judah was the one who finally said, look, take, take me instead of him. I can't go back to my father again and see the look on his face if we go back without his son. And you know what Joseph was thinking. Why didn't they say that when they did it to me? Joseph cracks. He starts weeping and wailing, and he hugs his brothers. God transformed them. Jacob came down. Awesome story. Awesome story appears before Pharaoh. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, sent our fathers on the visit. Second visit, verse 14, Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. They were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Till there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. Okay, now we're going on to Moses. And we're just going to begin Moses. We pick up on the rest of Moses next week, but jot this down. Moses. Moses. God's deliverer was condemned to death by Pharaoh. God's deliverer. Pattern, pattern. Joseph was rejected by the patriarchs. Moses was condemned to death by Pharaoh. Deliverer, condemned to death. Deliverer, rejected. Who does that sound like? Jesus. He's getting there. He's getting there. Funny story. Tragic story. Moses was born. Pharaoh couldn't stop these Jewish people from multiplying. So he's finally like, that's it. Throw them in the Nile, right? Every boy thrown in the Nile. Well, that backfired. Here's a picture of Moses He's out there, his mom put him in a basket, and so the Pharaoh's own daughter goes out there and, and looks in the basket, and it's a baby! Ah, oh, so it's horrible. And Moses' sister is like, I could find a woman to, to feed him for you, if you'd like. Oh, yes, and I'll send you money from the palace, and then when he comes of age, he's going to come, and I'm going to go get the nursery ready, and I'm going to paint it a certain color. I, I, we don't have this recorded in the Bible. I would love to hear the conversation between the daughter and the Pharaoh. I'm keeping it. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I'm a princess, and I get what I want. Fine. She kept a Hebrew baby. The palace paid for its own destruction, raised up the Redeemer that would pummel the land with plagues. God is amazing. He's amazing. Moses, God's deliverer, was condemned to death by Pharaoh. Jot this down. God rescued him and was with him in the palace. Rescued him and was with him in the palace. So it goes on to say uh, in verse 20, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house. When he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So he's now 40 years old, and his heart's going. And God's getting him ready, right? So he goes out there, and he realizes, these are my people. These are my people. These, And they're slaves. And his heart, his heart, his heart. This, this has got to stop. I've got to do something. I've got to save them. I've got to rescue them. And God is getting him ready. He supposed, it says after verse 24, after seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Alright, so Moses' plan A was kill the Egyptians one by one and then bury him in the sand. Okay. You guys ready? Uh, plan A, bad plan. right? Now there are Plenty of scripture shows that this was not God's plan, obviously. Moses murdered a guy. People in Egypt got mad. Then Pharaoh wanted to kill him. All right? So then Moses runs away at 40, disappears into the wilderness for 40 years. It's not until he's 80 that he comes back to bring deliverance to the land. Now, some people might be like, well, it's because he screwed up. He shouldn't have killed that first Egyptian. It's all part of God's providential plan, okay? But what Stephen highlights is very important, too. Were God's people ready to be delivered? Was Moses yet ready to be the deliverer? No. Were God's people yet ready to be delivered? No. Both are true. It says in verse 26, well, verse 25, they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling. Now, they can't get along. He tried to reconcile them. Man, you were brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust thrust him aside. Get out of here! Who are you? And then they they kept fighting. Pushed him aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? They were not ready. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. Now that's where our text pauses here today. But what do we realize here? Uh, Well, God rescued him and was with him in the palace. And what was to come was going to be awesome. Here's a picture of somebody who painted a picture of Moses and the plagues. I mean, you could see this is Egypt and the pyramids in the background and the sky's going to turn dark and the firstborn are going to die and all the livestock are going to die and the Red Sea's going to part. It's coming! It's coming! It's coming! What happened before that? Write this down. God appointed him as deliverer and God's people rejected him. Pattern, pattern, Joseph, I'm going to save the world. Get out of here. We hate you, right? Moses, coming down to save the world. Pharaoh tried to kill him, and then God's people were like, who do you think you are? Get out of here. Rejected deliverer, rejected redeemer. So the people of God were failing to see what God was doing, and God was doing it all over the world. Stephen's setting up his accusers with all of these observations. Here are the patterns. Let's move on to the application. So really, I've I've been, like, dynamically narrating for you the Old Testament that Stephen is reminding them of. And I've been showing you what he's setting them up for, the patterns. So here's what we can take away from this. God's messengers and deliverers were rejected by Israel and the world. Write that down. God's messengers and deliverers were rejected by Israel and the world. God was on the move with his eye on the nations from the start. He made a covenant with Abraham. And the church here in Acts is about to explode on the world scene. The conversion of Paul is imminent. The conversion of Cornelius is coming. It's all like a volcano about to erupt. And God's messengers and deliverers would be rejected again, just like they were back then. We will be tempted to reject Jesus and to refuse to crown him king. Maybe there are some who are here today and you have refused to make Jesus your Savior. You know about him, but he's not your Lord and your Savior. You certainly wouldn't say he's the only way to heaven. And I would say you're making a terrible mistake that many throughout history have been making. From the start, God called one God called Abraham out of a land to establish one special people that would produce one Messiah. God had a plan. The plan was a person. The person is Jesus Christ. It was thousands of years in the making. And every step of the way, people had a chance to say, Get out of here. Stop telling me about this stuff. I don't care about your little dreams. Rejecting Jesus will put you in eternal peril, just as it put them in peril time and time again. What if they had killed Joseph and the famine had come? They'd be dead men. Do you see how they were putting themselves in peril? God rescued those who were messengers and deliverers. And so we'll be tempted to reject Jesus and refuse to crown him king. But Jesus, just like the others who came to tell the truth, was crucified on the cross. He was thrown in the tomb, but on the third day he rose again. And God vindicated him. And then he went to the right hand of God Most High, where he now is seated in glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or have you been resisting and refusing the truth about Jesus Christ your entire life? There's a long line of people like you who have refused to believe and they've paid a dear price for it. And I would challenge you to make today the day that you don't stiffen your neck or harden your heart, but you humble yourself and you say, God had a plan, an incredible plan, and over thousands of years he unfolded it and it culminated in Jesus Christ. Count me in! Today can be the day. God's messengers and deliverers were rejected by Israel and the world. This also shows us that we must go and tell the world that Jesus is king. Stephen is modeling for us what it means to be a bold witness to those who can kill him right there. I visited our Awana club last week. You know how last week I got the map up here and I shared the vision with you. You There's all these people we gotta go reach. I did that with the kids too. I'm like, there's all these boys and girls out there who don't need Jesus. And one girl raised her hand. And I said, "Yeah, she goes, "My friend doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to invite her next week." I'm like, "Bingo! <laughs> it's as simple as that. As adults, if we did that all the time, the church would be happen." And then another kid, seven years old. he's got no front teeth, cutest kid. He raised his hand. He goes, "I was playing a game with my friend's video game, and one person on the video game, his gamer name was, "Jesus is a lie." So I changed my gamer name to Jesus is Alive. I was like, yes! Yeah! I'm picturing him playing, and then he's like, oh. He's like watching it, like, how oh, dare you? And then afterward, he gets on. Nobody told him to do that. He just did it! He just did it! Which is so awesome. I love the heart of children. Um... You might make the mistake, when you hear Stephen doing signs and wonders, you might make the mistake that some people make. Well, yeah, we had more miracles today. I'd love to go to my family Thanksgiving party and turn the turkey gravy into wine. You know, look, Jesus is real. Maybe if I could do more signs and wonders, they believe. Or they'd kill you. <laughs> Stephen doesn't survive this sermon. All right? They'd be like, he's been into witchcraft, and then get the carver, and you're dead. Okay? You don't need miracles and signs and wonders, okay? You just need you. You just need you. And people who are defiantly opposed to the faith, it's not going to convince them, all right? So don't make the mistake of being like, well, if it was me plus miracles, I'd do it. But nope, nope, nope. This isn't like, this isn't wow, Stephen. We're not supposed to be like, well, he's incredible. He could, no, 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 no. The only wow factor the church needs today is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Only wild factor the church needs. Take it all away. Keep that. We've got everything. So God's messengers and deliverers were rejected by Israel and the world. We will be too, but we have to go and tell the world Jesus is king. All right, jot this down. God's presence followed his people wherever they went. Looking back, this is already true of Israel's history. This, they, they knew their Bibles But they were actually being deceptive. They're they're little council. God's in our box, and we're his gatekeepers. Yeah, what happened? Do you know what happened in the book of Ezekiel? Do you know what happened? What happened to God's presence in the book of Ezekiel? Do you remember? It left the temple, okay? It left. He's not in there anymore. They're guarding an empty box. In Christ, this is the theology here. In Christ, when he showed up, this is what Stephen got in trouble for He did say, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. Right? But he was talking about what? He's now, he's now the, the place of the presence of God. Suddenly God's presence did return to the temple in the person of Jesus Christ and they rejected him, they killed him. Not only, this is your theology, not only is Christ now the place of the presence of God. Jacob saw at Bethel the angels in descending. What did Jesus say? Uh, what did he say to Nathaniel? You will see the angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. I'm the stairway to heaven. You don't need a pyramid. I'm the one. And then what do we become when we become Christians? We become the body of Christ, the temple of the living God. So here you have Stephen is actually, some of these people have gotten saved, but Stephen is the only one in the room who represents the manifest presence of God at this point. He is the temple of the living God. They don't like that. And the presence of God, just as it came from far away into Israel, into Egypt, is now going to, boom, explode all around the world, and the rulers aren't going to be able to stop it. That's what's coming in the future. God's presence followed his people wherever they went, and he was about to follow them wherever they would go. Stephen knew he and they were the new people of God, and even if he didn't survive the sermon, he was going to tell them the truth. Do you know what this teaches us? You don't need a holy place to encounter God. You don't need magic items to encounter God. You don't need a holy person who claims to have leveled up higher than you to get you any closer to God. None of that is true. You can have the entirety of God's presence in your heart if you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior. You don't need anything else. And any attempt to go and... Well, maybe I just need a little something. You, you can't do that without shrinking Jesus at the same time. Well, because Jesus didn't give me all of it, I'm going to go over here and get a little more. You don't understand the beauty of the gospel. You can become a temple of the living God. God's presence followed his people wherever they went. Jesus is all you need. And write this down. God's plan unfolded according to his promise to send a Messiah. All the Old Testament heroes died. Joseph said this before he died. He said this, listen, God's going to come. He's going to rescue you. When he does, bring my bones up with you to the new land. I love Joseph's faith. Not one plague. Joseph was like, it's going to happen. Here's my funeral plan. Bring my bones up there. Meanwhile, Moses is like, send someone else. It's not going to work. I don't know. How's it going to happen? And Joseph, <laughs> 400 years before it happened, he's like, it's done. And here's where my bones go when it's over. Isn't that amazing? I love his faith. This was God's plan. It unfolded according to his promise to send a Messiah. All the Old Testament heroes died. Jesus would, in fact, allow the temple to be destroyed through the Roman army in A.D. 70. Jesus, in fact, fulfilled all the customs and the law of Moses. And therefore, God's people were free... Free from all of those restrictions, free to go and make disciples of all nations, the building and the law were always temporary and they pointed to Jesus. Well, Stephen is still getting them ready, and next week he's going to get the knockout blow that costs him his life. But let me challenge you as we've heard this amazing story of the first martyr in the New Testament believe the gospel is true. Hey, listen, stop doubting and believe. You've heard incredible things today incredible things from heaven, unbelievable, earth-shaking, world-changing, unbelievable things you've heard. Stop doubting right now and believe the good news and go and tell the world. This is a message for the world. Your face doesn't have to shine like an angel. Just be brave, be courageous. Jesus is alive. Let's go and tell the world about him. Let's close this with a word of prayer. Father, what an inspiring passage this is, a flyover of the Old Testament, and we're only halfway done with what Stephen said. I love his faith. I love his fearlessness. I love Stephen's boldness. And I love that you were watching from heaven as he indicted those who killed the Messiah. I can't help but think there are some who are here today or watching online For whatever reason, Jesus, they have not crowned you King of kings, Lord of lords. Their soul is in peril. Their soul is in peril. Worse peril than if plagues were coming upon the land. Worse peril than if a famine were to come. Hell is coming. Eternal conscious torment. Jesus, you came to rescue them from that. And I pray that right here and right now, they would say, Jesus, I'm going to stop doubting and I'm going to believe. I've heard incredible things about God's plan throughout the ages to send a Savior through a people and then the rulers rejected him, killed him, but you raised him up and now he rules heaven? Count me in. Oh Lord, may some here right now repent in their own hearts and say, Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a temple of the living God. May some who have been trusting and relying on special places or things or people, falsely thinking that, Jesus, you are not enough, may they repent of that, and may they say, Jesus, you're all I need. I have the entirety of the presence of God within me by faith, and may they draw from that for the rest of their lives. Lord, I pray for those of us who are struggling to reach out and courageously share our faith with others, which is all Christians give us courage, give us boldness, whether it's like that seven-year-old kid who's playing a video game and finds a way to get the truth out or a girl who's inviting her friend next week or us as we pray for our neighbors and have conversations and just share our story. Give us divine appointments this week and we pray that as we go that you would bless us and be with us just as you were with Abraham everywhere he went and Joseph everywhere he went and the church everywhere they went. You are right here with us. Fill us with your spirit. Send us out and use us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.